Today's message is uh, an important message. When I was preparing this message, the Lord said something to me. He said, this is a staple sermon. Staple, not a staple, like you staple a piece of paper. Staple, you know, like we'd call food, there's certain foods that are staple foods. Cheetos are not staple foods. Hershey's is not a staple food. What is a staple food? Rice, bread, not Gatorade, Taylor. Rice, bread, milk. Sugar. Sugar, it's from the devil, but yes. Um, <laughs> a staple food is something that you can't live without. I can live without Toblerone. <laughs> As you can see, Taylor, I haven't lived without it, but I can live without it. And I lived without it for 40 days, praise God, amen. Uh, a staple food is something you can't live without. And this is a message that I really believe you can't live without. And we've been talking for a while uh, on our Sundays about having the right heart and about how the heart affects everything. We are faith people and we want people to receive from God, which you can only do by faith. Because without faith, Hebrews 11:6 6 says you can't even please him. But before you talk too much about faith, you should talk about the heart because if you don't have the right heart, there won't be faith. The right heart causes you to not listen to the word, but hear the word. When you hear the word, listening is mental and it's of the soul realm. Hearing is heart, it's of the spirit realm. When you hear the incorruptible seed of the word, it goes into your heart, Mark 4, and it goes, and if you've got a right heart, not a stony heart, not a thorny heart, but a right heart, not a hard heart, because there's four kinds of heart soil mentioned in Mark 4. If it goes into the right heart, that seed of the word will produce 36 and fold. What does that mean? Faith will come. And because the revelation of the word, Romans 10, 17, produces faith. Now, faith is the victory that overcomes the world, 1 John 5, 4. So without, you can't talk about victory if you don't talk about faith. And you can't talk about faith if you don't hear the word. And you can't hear the word if you don't have the right heart, because then the word goes on the stop of the heart. Remember Mark 4, the seed of the word goes on the hard ground and the birds come to pick it away. And when Jesus explained the parable, he said the birds are the demons that come and steal the word. So demon spirits, it's amazing, not even flesh, Jenny. Demon spirits are looking to steal the word. They are watching the word go in. And if your heart is hard, because why? Learn of me, Matthew eleven twenty 20 to 30, come learn of me. Those that are heavy, burdened and laden, come and learn of me for I am meek and lowly of heart. So a heart that is learning, a teachable heart, a heart that is meek, that's how you treat others, a heart that is gentle, patient, and submissive, and a heart that is lowly or humble. That, that is the heart soil of Mark 4. The hard heart is not a meek, lowly, teachable heart. The rocky heart is not a teachable, meek, lowly heart because the Bible said it easily got offended. The thorny, thistly heart is not a, is not a meek, lowly, and, and, and teachable heart because while it started right, all the other stuff came and crept in and, and destroyed the word. But the fourth kind of dark, rich soil is the pure heart. That is the meek, lowly, the meek, humble, and teachable heart. If your heart's right and you hear the word, faith has to produce. I'm so tired, Reverend Taylor, of people telling me, well, I just don't have faith for that and it's not my fault. No, well, I'm not trying to blame anybody, but ultimately uh, you're going to determine if you have faith or not. Right. I thought God gave me faith. No, the word, the revelation of the word gives you faith. Well, but so I thought it was God. No, it's you. You have to guard. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God will do anything about your heart. You have to guard your heart. Proverbs says, you guard your heart with all diligence above all things, for out of it flow the boundaries of life, the fence posts of life, the, the fence line, the, 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 the limits of your life. 
that is set by your heart. If your heart is right, the seed goes in, you hear the word, faith comes, victory comes, your, heart, your, your life has width to it. But if your heart is wrong, then there is no hearing of the word. There is little faith or no faith. And all of a sudden there's little or no victory and you're narrow in your life. The, the, the dimensions of where you go in your future is all based on your heart. So while we teach a lot on faith, the Lord said, I want you to do a series on the heart because without the heart, faith, you don't even get to the point of faith. Now I was continuing this, but I'm calling this something different today. I'm calling this Nazareth versus the great woman because as I was going through my examples of teaching on the heart and how faith works with the heart, the Lord paused me. He pushed pause and he said, I want you to take extra time. Instead of doing this as a 10 minute sub point, I want you to make a whole sermon out of it because this was only a sub point that I had that would take about 10, 15 minutes. But he said, I want to expand it. This is a staple sermon. You can't live without this. This, this, what I'm going to share with you this morning is critically important for your future. And for many of you, you're going to nod your head and say, I already know that. I already know that. I already know that. I already know that. Let it be a reinforcement if you already know it. But there are people that are believing God for things and they're not getting the things they're believing God for in this congregation. And this sermon will serve as a rescue for them. There are people that are coming that I won't be able to always preach this sermon again in its totality. And we will refer back to this date. What is the date today? March the what? Seventh, we will be telling people, uh, go back and listen to March 7th. It is a staple sermon. You can't live without it. Because new people don't know this and they have to be told this, but I can't keep re-preaching everything all the time. So I, I want you to turn with me because we have a, a bit to go through, but we're going to go quickly, but I do have a bit to go through. So I want you to look with me, please, in Mark chapter 6. Can you turn there quickly? Mark chapter 6. That's in the New Testament, Brother Taylor. Amen. Mark chapter, <laughs> Mark chapter 6. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, verse 2, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? Now, I'll tell you in a second what his sermon was because I already know what his sermon was. You don't, but I do. I have inside information. Jesus, when he appeared to Dad Hagen, told him what the sermon was. So we know what the sermon was if you believe Dad Hagen's not a liar, which I don't believe he is, and I've got scripture to prove it. So just give me a minute, we'll get there. But he's teaching them something important. We'll come back to that. And they're astonished at what his sermon is. And he says, where does this man get these things from? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him? That even such, notice quote Taylor, mighty works are wrought by his hands. So he was telling them testimonies. He was telling them testimonies. Like I've told you testimonies of that witch, ex-witch, at the gate in the jungles of India. Don't waste your hand, sir. One finger is enough for me. And I put my index finger and something, an electric bolt came out of my finger and smote her. She was dying of malaria. She, was, she, was, she almost couldn't speak. She was so weak. She jumped up, instantly healed, started dancing around the car and made us come and made us food as the greatest ex-witch in that region, a Satan worshiper. Yeah. And so uh, he's telling them stories. That's how they know mighty works. Otherwise, how could they know mighty works if he didn't tell them? They don't know. They don't have internet. They don't have social media. This is Nazareth. This is where he grew up. And is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? 
the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, Jesus is going to teach them if they'll listen, which they don't. A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. What is Jesus saying? It's a double negative there, but what is he saying? A prophet always has honor, except when he's around the people that know him. A prophet is always honored, except in his own kin, his own family, his own house. Because what? They're familiar with him. They saw him as a carpenter and they still see him as a carpenter. And he could, not would, he could not. He was limited. He could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. Minor ailments, the Greek says. And he marveled, he was astonished. I don't want Jesus to marvel at my unbelief. I want him to marvel at my faith. And he marveled because of their unbelief and went around the villages teaching. Jesus said that he marveled at the centurion's faith and said, you've got the greatest faith in all Israel, but he marveled at his hometown, homeboys. The homeboys, he marveled at their unbelief. And the stranger, the centurion, who's not even a Jew. He marvels at their faith, at his faith. Okay, are you with me now? You're still with me because I need some amens. Taylor? You better get on it. You better get on it. Second Kings chapter four, verse eight. Second Kings chapter four and verse eight. Can you turn there? That's in the Old Testament, Corinne. Second Kings chapter four and verse eight. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem where there was a great woman. The reason why she's great isn't because she's rich. Not because she has a PhD. It's because of her heart. Now, you're going to watch the greatness displayed here. And she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive, if you have a Bible that you underline, please would you put the, uh, underline that word perceive. It means to observe and to recognize. To recognize. I perceive, I recognize that this is a holy man of God which passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick and it shall be when he comes to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on the day that he came thither and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, he stood before, she stood before him and he said unto her, say now to her, behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. Now that word careful is not the word you think it would mean, like we've been careful about, like don't break the dish, be careful. No, it means to hasten. It means to move quickly. It's literally the word quick. She has been quick. She has moved quickly for us with all this care. And that word care means reverence and honor. She has been quick to show us honor. That's what careful with all this care means in the Hebrew. Quick to show us honor. Okay, are you still with me? Yes. Where am I? She has been quick, careful for all this care. What is to be done for thee? She, he's asking, what should we do for you? Would you be spoken unto the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. In other words, I'm fine, man of God. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, verily she has no child. She didn't even ask for the child. But, but Gehazi paid attention and saw that she has no child. And her husband is old. <laughs> and he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door and he said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. 
And she said, no, my Lord, thou man of God, don't lie to me. Don't you play games with your handmaiden. This is too precious to me for you to mess around. Either this is it or this is not it, but don't be lying. Don't be, don't be faking it out. Don't dangle a carrot. And when the child, okay, and, and when the child was grown, so obviously, uh, and the woman conceived, verse 17, and bare a son at that season that Elijah had said unto her, according to the time of life, it happened. And when the child was grown and fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers, and he said unto his father, my head, my head. And he said to the lad, to a lad, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he, he sat on her knees until noon and then died. And she went up and laid him. <laughs> oh my God. She laid him. On the bed, what it, notice it says, of the man of God. Because she saw him as a man of God. And shut the door upon him. Nobody's going to take him. Nobody's going to touch him. Nobody's going to disturb him. And went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, and I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore would you go to him this day? Is it a new moon? Or it is neither a new moon or a Sabbath? And she said, It shall be well. He, she didn't even tell her husband the boy died because he didn't know why she was going. True faith people don't tell everybody their needs. She didn't even tell her own husband the boy's dead because he doesn't know why she's going. She go, would go for festivals, new moons, special events. He said, this is not a special event. Why are you going? She says, it'll be well. Mind your own business, old man. That was as he's old. <laughs> Mind your own business, old man. It'll be well. And then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, drive and go forward, slack not thy riding for me. I may be a girl, but I can take it, except I bid thee. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her, because I've stood there on Mount Carmel, you can see the whole valley. Megiddo, where the last great battle will be. And he sees her coming. You can see the whole thing. So he sees her coming. And he says to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, and meet her, and say to her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with the husband? Watch, is it well with the child? Yes. <laughs> and she answered, It is well. Amen. No caveats, Jenny. No. Just a faith statement. Why? Because she knows it's going to be well. Amen. Even if it's not at that moment. Wow. Faith calls things that be not yet as though they already were. Amen. Romans 4, 17. Faith calls those things you don't yet see and manifested as though they've already manifested. Yeah. I don't see the healing man, the, de the dead being raised yet, but I know it's going to be, so I say it is well. He is fine. Amen. You see what? Yeah. This, that's why she's a great woman. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet, but he came to thrust her away. And the man of God said, let her alone. Her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord has hid it from me and has not told me. And then she said, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did not I say, don't deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, gird up thy loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way. And if thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any man salute thee, answer him not again. You're on a mission. Stay focused and lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul Oh, liveth, I will not leave thee. <laughs> That's what Jerry says to Brother Copeland once every year. He kneels before him. He doesn't have to, but he, he says, as I so liveth and as the Lord liveth, I will not leave thee. He reaffirms his covenant with his spiritual father. Yeah. I say that to Pastor Nancy. If Jerry does it once, I'm not as great as Jerry. I need to at least do it twice. So I do it twice every year. I tell her, I said, as I so live, because I'm following her as she follows Christ. Yeah. That keeps your heart out of offense. And he arose and followed her. And Gazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. 
Therefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, the child is not awaked. Now listen for a second here. When the man of God tells the, 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 the assistant, go do this, it should happen. Why did it not happen? Because Gehazi's a liar and a thief. We just, he just gets caught the next little bit short, shortly after this, he gets caught stealing money. And he gets cursed, and the skin turns white as snow. Not just him, but every, every one of his children for the rest of his generations would die as a leper. So when things don't work the way that God says through the man of God for them to work, it's probably because there's something wrong with the person, not something wrong with God. Sometimes I say to people, go and do this. By the Spirit, I say. And it doesn't work. Well, that didn't work. Don't look at me. Look at you. Because if God told me to tell you to do something, it has to work. The only reason it can't is because you're blocking that flow. Because something in your heart or something in your life is not right. When God says it, it has to work. This is the first indicator that Gehazi's wrong. Anyway, that was a free nugget. And when Elisha came to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child. <laughs> I mean, how did he know to do that? How did he know to even tell the lady about this house thing? She doesn't say that he told her, but I think that he probably would have advised her because his spiritual father was Elijah. And Elijah had a widow woman. And Eli, that widow woman let him come because the Bible said he had his own bedroom and his own candlestick and his own bed. Elijah told Elisha, this is called honor. Yeah. This is what happens. And because of the honor, the power of God flows and I raised her, her son from the dead. Remember? Yes. Now, Elijah's telling Elisha that. Elisha's obviously either preaching this or telling the lady directly because the lady does the same thing that the other widow woman did for his spiritual father. Makes a house for him. Yeah. Shows honor for him. And then she's got the same problem that the other lady had. Her son dies. Yeah. And the same thing that happened to the other lady through his spiritual father happened through him for her. Yeah. Elijah laid upon the child. Yeah. Face to face, mouth to mouth. Kind of weird. But I guess that's the way the Lord led them to do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And David Hogan is running through the bush and the man who had been... Uh, had a, a swelled up leg three times the size and it was filled with pus and he put his hand right into the pus and cursed it in Jesus' name and within three weeks the man was running around healed the death sentence. That same man, his son, swallowed his tongue in an epileptic seizure and died and, he's, and he heard David because David's always making noise everywhere he goes, he's shouting. I don't know why, but he just does that. So he can hear him coming through the quiet jungle and he goes into the path and says, my son's dead, you have to come. And, and he says, I can't, I can't, I have to go. I, I'm, I'm rushing. He says, I don't care. You're coming to raise him. So he diverts in a full run. That's David for you. In a full run. He didn't slow down to chat or get a cup of tea. In a full run, he got off the path. He ran into things. He knocked the door down. He jumped upon the child, just like we read here, face to face, eye to eye, mouth to mouth. And he said, come back in Jesus' name. Jumped, didn't even wait to see if it worked. Jumped off the child, ran down the stairs, out the house, down the trail. When the man got, because he was running, when the man finally made it up to the room, the boy was coughing, raised from the dead. It can happen today. <laughs> it can happen today, Jenny. It does happen today. It happens today that people, with people that pay the price. It don't happen today with people that are half Christians. That make a big, a big talk, but they don't live the, the big walk. We got to live it. I got to live it. You got to live it. 
And the Bible says, and his, and his hands upon his hands, and he stretched himself upon the child, and the, fla- the flesh of the child became warm. And he returned and walked in the house to and fro, and went up and stretched himself upon him again. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes, and he called. Can you imagine that moment, Jenny? And he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he called her, and when she had come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. And she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Glory to God. A lot of scripture there, but I felt like the word of God has to be, well, I just have to share. I don't want to cut corners today. It's a staple sermon. You need to hear the whole thing. Now, I want you to understand that there's two main things I want to teach you this morning. Two main things. Can you pay attention? Two is not hard. It's not nine. It's not 12. It's two. You got a, you got a spouse? It's you and them. That's two. You can count. This is very easy. Number one, I want you to see here, very important. I'm comparing these two stories, Nazareth versus the great woman. Mark 6 versus 2 Corinthians, 2, 2 Kings 4. Now, let's look at, please, if you would, let's look at Mark 6. I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you like verses, like it's Nazareth versus the great woman. So I'm going to give you parallels. And I'm going to say it in a parallel form so you can see the difference. Are you ready? Number one, there's only two things, so pay attention. Number one, I'm comparing Nazareth in the negative to the great woman in the positive. Number one, Nazareth, the people there did not perceive that Jesus was a man of God. That's a hard issue. When you can't perceive that somebody's a man of God, sent by God to help you, something's wrong with your heart. There's a pride. Well, you, I don't need your help. Who do you think you are? I'm just as important as you. My matter, my opinion matters just as much as yours does. And as humans, we are the same. But when God anoints somebody, we're not the same. Part A, they did not perceive he was a man of God. But what did this woman do? She did perceive. Did you notice the Bible said? I perceive that he is a man of God that comes back and forth to us continually. Did you see the word perceive that I asked you to highlight? That is to recognize. Listen to me. Forget about victory in faith. If you don't recognize certain things, the ball game doesn't even start for you. I'm telling you. Sinners that don't recognize the preaching of somebody that is preaching the good news of the gospel, people that don't recognize they can't go the next step, which is to have faith come into their heart, have faith, and receive the salvation of God. It all starts with recognition, Jenny. She perceived or recognized that he was a man of God. They didn't. Part B, letter B. They lowered Jesus to carpenter status. They made him natural. Is he not the carpenter? What did this lady do? She elevated Elisha to minister of God's status. She made it spiritual. This, I perceive, is a, not man, a man of God. Who is this man? He's nothing but a carpenter. You see, when you don't, when you perceive somebody as as uh, with a right heart, a teachable heart, when you perceive somebody as a man of God, you, it, you make it spiritual. You elevate them to a status of a minister. Yes. So I can receive something from them. When your heart's wrong and you're proud, you lower them to the status of the natural and you can't perceive what God is doing through them. Yes. This is a staple sermon, Jenny. Yes. 
Now what's the th- part C? Because she saw him as someone, because they saw Jesus, Nazareth, as someone that couldn't minister to them because he's only a carpenter, they were offended. Because she saw him as somebody that could minister to her, her heart was not offended. It was open to receive. Do you see? Now what's part D, last part of number one? She therefore showed him honor. They therefore did not show him honor because Jesus said everybody has honor except in his own town. Jesus even said the word honor. Now that word care means reverence or honor from 2 Kings. So he said she's been quick to show us this honor. Jesus said there's always honor shown except when they know you. Can you see both? We see parallels with both here? So one, what is one? Perceive. If you're just writing notes, you put one and two. The first is the word perceive. Perceiving is absolutely critical to your future. Number one, she perceived he was a man of God, had a right heart. They perceived that he wasn't. They did not perceive that he was a man of God because they didn't have the right heart. Number two, she perceived and elevated Elisha to the status of minister and saw him as a spiritual man. They lowered him to the status of a carpenter and saw him as a natural man. Therefore, they felt that he could not minister to them and they were offended at his status. She knew that he could minister to her and so she was not offended. And therefore, she showed him honor and they showed him dishonor. Do you see the progression? Where did it start with? Perceiving. It matters who's in your life and it matters who's talking into your life. And it matters who your pastor is and it matters what church you go to. And it matters who you listen to. It matters who you take spiritual counsel from. It matters. It matters to God because what they teach you will either sink your ship or cause it to float. I'm serious. Now, everybody, they all, we all teach being born again. Thank God for that. But you go to certain churches, they'll teach you the tongues of the devil. You go to other churches, they'll teach you that healing was done away with the disciples. You go to other places, they'll teach you that intercession is demonic. You go to certain, I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff out there. It matters who you listen to. (laughs) Now, I want you to notice a little side nugget for free. For free. I want you to notice that, did you notice that Jesus, there's only one reference of him coming to Nazareth. One. But did you notice that this Elisha guy, she said, he passeth by us continually. Jesus showed up once and they were offended. This man is showing up constantly and they're not offended. It's called familiarity. If anybody should have been familiar, Taylor, it should have been the great woman. Because with with volume, you lower naturally, your brain just accepts them and you, you see them differently. But when you only see somebody one time, See, it's easier for people to honor Pastor Nancy because she only comes here once. So everybody says, well, praise God, this is special. This is special, right? But it's harder for them to honor me because I'm here two, three times a week. So it's not special. Mm -hmm. Do you understand the difference? But don't you think that if anybody had the right to not honor, it would be the great woman because she's seeing him continually. Yet the one that saw continually showed honor, even though it it would have to fight against that tendency to get familiar because she sees him all the time. But the people that only see him one time, he's a guest minister, he's a prophet, he's a rabbi, one time, and they're still offended. I just want you to notice that I'm trying to say a simple point here. 
Even if you see somebody continually, you can still show honor. This great woman proved it to us. Praise God. I want you to notice something else here, a second and final little side nugget. Honor was showed quickly and naturally. Notice she has been careful with all this care. She has been quick with this honor. Quick. Quick. It's one thing to show honor. It's another thing to show honor quickly. I'm, just take it or leave it. If you Do whatever you want with it. I'm just saying, because my heart is right, I take this for me. You should take this for you about me as your pastor and about anybody that ministers to you that God's put in your life. I take this for me with Pastor Nancy, Brother Jerry, and Brother Greer. I, I'm not just to, uh, I'm not to get familiar no matter how often I see them. I'm to perceive them as a man and woman of God. If I don't perceive them, I won't elevate them to that position. I've got to keep my heart right. I've got to keep it spiritual. I, I, I can't get offended with them no matter what. And I've got to show them honor. And in my showing them honor, I've got to be quick about it. And I've got to be natural about it. Listen, honor is not just a feeling you have in your heart. I did a series on it a couple years ago. Uh, uh, reverence is something internal. Honor is something external. Uh, you, you do have an honor in your heart, but honor is not limited to the insides of you. Honor is always, if you study the Bible, it's always displayed. It's like meekness. Meekness is how you treat others. Humility is how you see yourself. Reverence is an internal, uh, uh, it's an internal belief that you have. It's an internal attitude that you have. But honor is shown. Honor is expressed. Honor is exhibited. Notice that she showed honor. She didn't just talk honor, Taylor. She showed honor. She showed honor quickly, and she showed honor naturally. It's not enough to say, well, I honor you in my heart, and never say it. Pastor Nancy, and she doesn't ask me to do it or even probably even like me to do it, but Jenny and I talk honor to her, not incessantly, not out of good taste, but in an appropriate fashion. We tell her, we show her honor with our words. But we also show her honor with our actions. We never come to her without a gift. Not that, not that that applies to everybody. I'm just saying that's our conviction. Yes. We give her generously from our personal finances. We set aside money every month from our personal finances and, and give it to her when we see her. And, and with that exchange rate, I mean, it takes quite a bit of Canadian to get anything into the U.S. these days. <laughs> But my point is, is that I don't care about the exchange rate. I don't care about what other people do. And I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just telling you that is what God told me to do because honor is shown naturally and honor is also shown verbally and honor needs to be quick. I learned this from the Bible and I live it. I have a right to teach you. Whether you live it or not is up to you. There's no, there's no manipulation here. I'm just telling you what God says. You want God to work with you more? You want things to work for you better? Then do what the Bible says. Show honor quickly and naturally. Naturally is not just when you, when you honor us with special offerings. Naturally, showing honor naturally, honoring this church. Because I'm the head of this church. Honoring means you actually show up for services. That's a natural act. Honoring means you watch. That's a natural act. You see, you can say, well, I honor Pastor Taylor was just talking to somebody this last week. He even said, is Pastor Craig still your pastor? Uh, yeah. Well, do, do you honor him? Yeah. Well, do you watch live stream? No. Well, that doesn't make no sense. Because if you say you, you, say you honor, but you don't act in honor, you're a liar. Because honor has to be expressed. It didn't matter that the lady said she honored him. She had to do something. Yes. Come on in. Notice the progression, Taylor. Come on in and give, I'll give you some food. Right. That don't cost much. Yeah. But then it grew from the 10 bucks for the food to now we're going to renovate our house yes. to have you stay with us. Yes. Now we're going to buy you a bed and a lampstand and a lamp and all this kind of stuff, a candlestick and everything, a desk, 
a chair. Notice the progression of honor. It doesn't always start large, but it starts tiny. It starts where maybe it doesn't cost you that much, but it starts. And it has to be expressed quickly and naturally. And she did that, and I want you to notice she got what she needed. Now, you know why people don't preach this, Jenny? Because of the same reason that I have the thoughts right now and the feelings right now, right now, standing here right now, is exactly why pastors don't preach this. Do you know why? Because it's, there's a fear attached to this. Because there is a self-promotion uh, slash manipulation that if you don't preach it from a pure place and a pure heart, it can seem self-promoting and self attaining and prideful honor me it's got nothing to do with the person it's got everything to do with the anointing on the person the call on the person the office that the person stands in it's not me it's the anointing on me she didn't call him a man she called him a man of God it's the God part that we're honoring he just happens to be the guy standing in it because God said to his father go throw the mantle on him and then he had to serve for seven years making coffee and doing his stuff and menial jobs until finally he gets to the plain of Jordan and he gets the mantle and starts to operate in it himself And every minister has to have a spiritual father. Every minister has to have something come on them to separate them to the ministry. I sure did. Every minister has to serve in very demeaning ways to keep their heart humble and to test the reins of their cart. Me, I've done it for years, years serving other people. And every minister has to receive their own call, their own anointing at some point, and then train the next generation. And you hope the next generation is not the Gehazi. Because he went and got another protege later on. If you remember that young man, remember who he said, open his eyes and let him see all the chariots of fire. That was his next protege. But Gehazi was the first one. The wrong heart and the greed for money disqualified him. So it's very important that spiritual sons, are you listening, have a very pure heart about money and have a very pure heart about why they're doing this. Elisha wasn't doing it for money. He was doing it to serve. To be faithful. To be found faithful by God so he could get his own mantle, his own anointing, his own flow. Do you understand me? Praise God. It matters. Very important. Pastors don't teach this because it can be. I've heard preachers say this from the wrong place and it's very manipulative. You need to help me. You need to show honor to me. You need to do this. You need to do that. And the God is so opposed to that. God hates that. It's a stench in his nostrils. But there is see how the devil perverts it. He'll take them to the ditch. There's a ditch. We don't want to be in the ditch. But then the other ministers are so afraid of the ditch. They won't stay in the middle of the road and teach it. And so when you don't teach it, you don't encourage, you don't train people to perceive right. When they're not perceiving right, they don't have the right heart, then the word can't go into them, then faith is not produced, and then victory is not, does not happen in their life. And they don't get their son raised from the dead. Let me just tell you something real quick. If you're offended because I'm taking a long time to meet with you for counseling, there's no point coming in. Because you will not receive anything from my anointing when you've been griping at home and to your friends about how lazy I am, how busy I am, and that I don't think you're important enough to meet. You might as well cancel the appointment because it is a waste of my time and a waste of your time because coming in without perception means you cannot receive from the man of God. You're just, it's natural, it's mental, it's emotional, it's a crying session. Do you know what's happening to me? And I know I know what's happening to you. Oh, you feel sorry for me? Yes, I feel sorry for you. And I hug him and we pray and we cry and nothing changes. changes. I have to comfort the feeble-minded. 
That's feeble-minded. That's not a renewed mind. That's a weak mind. And I see that so often. I know, Taylor, nothing's going to happen, but I try to make it like, well, you know, just keep using your faith and, you know, you know, God is good all the time. And then they say all the time, God is good. And then we say that back and forth and we do this little dance and it's a bunch of waste of time because I know nothing's going to happen because I know they're offended in their hearts. Their offense in their heart robs them of the power of the, through them, through, not from, through the man of God to them. It's God doing this through somebody. But you've got a God that's just the way he did it. Yell at him. Don't yell at me. It's just the way he did it. He said, you've got to honor the human, which I know is hard for you. But you've got to honor that because they're a vessel that heaven has to flow through. And if you can't perceive them, and if you lower them to natural status, and if you say, no, they can't really help me, and you get offended with them, you will not show honor, and honor opens the door to power. It's not about you doing something for me. It's about your honor. And forget about money. Just showing up to church is showing an act of honor. Yeah, Don't say and then not do. I hope, Jenny, you correct me if I'm getting to, close to the ditch. Just come up and give me a good old slap. You do it sometimes at home and I receive it. And I, and I don't slap back. You sowed, but you didn't reap. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, number two, the word number one is perceive and number two is honor. pH, like the pH scale. And I hope you remember. What is your pH level? Are you alkaline or are you acidic? Are you perceiving and are you honoring? Those are staple questions you must ask yourself. Because if you perceive, I'll say it again, if you perceive that, the man, that it's a man of God, not just a man. It's a right heart. It's a teachable, humble heart. You'll elevate that person to minister status, spiritual status. You'll be able to, you'll know that they have something to offer you through God and you won't be offended at them. Then you'll show a measure of honor. Yeah. Now, number two, uh, because you've shown that measure of honor, what happens? You can hear the message. Yeah. Honor, op- honor is a heart issue. Are you listening to me? It it's a heart issue. Yeah. Yes, it has to be spoken. It has to be acted upon and quickly. But it starts in the heart. It has to be expressed, but it starts in the heart. When I have honor for Pastor Nancy, that starts in my heart, expressed with our words and actions, and done quickly. But that starts in my heart. Now my heart is open, Jenny. So when, because I've, I've reduced her to a carpenter. I'm not offended at her. I'm not familiar with her. No matter how many times I see her. Pastor, Pastor uh, uh, Noel Ramos's wife, Pastor Ruby, who travels with her, said to me, I said, how do you maintain your honor for her? Because you see her in every kind of situation without her makeup, when she's in a, not a very happy mood, when she's stressed, when she's worried. We're all like that. And she said to me the most powerful statement, one of the most powerful statements I've ever heard. And she didn't have to think about it. It just came out of her. She said, I renew my honor for her every day. I, I, I renew my spiritual relationship with her every day. Spiritual. I renew my spiritual the way I see her spiritually, which is honor. I have to do it every day. Every day I wake up, I say, it doesn't matter how often I see her or what she does. She's my pastor. I receive her as such. She's my woman of God. I don't lower her to a natural carpenter status. I don't get offended with her no matter what she does. I'm not familiar with her no matter how much I see her. She is my woman of God. And there's an honor. And I renew my honor for her. 
Now, you've got to do that every day when you travel with somebody because you see them in the thick and thin. It's easy when you only see somebody in a suit. But what about if you see, you know, I can't take people traveling with me that don't know how to honor me because they're going to probably see me in different scenarios. Not sinful scenarios, but, but just when I'm not doing the ministry thing. Do you know what I'm saying? When I just want to talk about something other than spiritual things. Or when I want to maybe go and go walk over there and I want to do this and I want to eat that. I just want to be a human being. Dad Hagen loved people around him. They just talked about football because he didn't want to talk about the Bible all the time. But there were times where they would draw on him, prime that pump, and then the gusher would come. But he didn't want that all the time. So to travel with somebody, you're going to see them in non-spiritual ways. And you have to renew that. It's so easy to get familiar because it's continual. This woman was continual, but she kept that honor. She kept renewing that honor. She did not lower him to natural carpenter. She kept him as man of God. Why? Because she knows the day is going to come. I'm going to need something. And he don't have it, but God who anointed him has it. And it can only come through that way. Praise God. Now, things can come directly to you in the New Testament. Don't get me wrong. But this principle stands in the New Covenant about the office. And I'll prove it to you in a second. Let me just say, the second one is perceive. Right? You got that? Because she perceived, she, she didn't lower him. She kept him in that right place. She could hear. When she heard whatever he was saying, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Faith was produced and released. And then what happened? The power of God flowed when she needed it. And the son was raised. She entered into his rest. She entered into the, that's Matthew 11, 30. She entered into his good life, Ephesians 2, 10. She entered into the promised land, Hebrews 4, 1 and 2. Her promised land. Her promised land was the boy being raised. Their promised land was actually a promised land. These people in Nazareth, their promised land was healing. They didn't enter into it. Only a few little minor ailments got healed. Why? Because uh, they they couldn't perceive they couldn't show the honor needed. And, and because you don't show, notice, notice the trend, Taylor. They, they couldn't perceive him. They lowered him to carpenter status. Yeah. They were offended at him. Yeah. And then Jesus marveled at their lack of faith yeah. because that lack of, and he said, no honor has been shown. All these words you see in Mark 6, because of no honor, there was no faith. And he marveled at their unbelief, mm. their measure of lack of faith. Yeah. And then what happened? No power flowed. Only a few little minor ailments got healed. But now you take the reverse. That woman perceived right. She honored that. She showed honor to him. She didn't lower him and get offended. She kept her heart and she honored him. And then what happens? Now, because she's honoring, she can hear the message and faith comes. Unlike them that he marveled at their unbelief, now we're marveling at her faith. And then unlike minor ailments, the power comes to raise the dead. Only eight dead raisings in the entire Bible, Old and New Testament. This is one of them. Because this principle works. Those people in Nazareth could have had mighty healings, but they didn't because they didn't perceive and they didn't honor. Praise God. What did we learn? PH, perceive and honor. Put up that screen. I want people to see it physically with their eyes. They did not perceive that this is the Nazareth people. They did not perceive that he was a man of God. That's a hard issue. She did. They lowered Jesus to carpenter, natural status. She elevated him to man of God's spiritual status. This is somebody who couldn't minister to them. They got qualified and they get offended. Of course, she did the opposite. No honor was shown. On her case, honor was shown. They couldn't hear his message as he preached. The Bible says he preached and they even marveled at his preaching. They were astonished, but they couldn't hear it. They were listening to the sermon from Jesus, but they couldn't hear it. No faith was produced. Jesus preached a good sermon and they were astonished at what he preached. But they couldn't hear what he preached because their heart's wrong. 
And why? No faith was produced or released in the anointing on his life. Of course, with her, the opposite. The power of God couldn't flow. Of course, the opposite was for her. And they weren't healed. The opposite was for her. She got the boy got raised. Do you see the parallel? Nazareth to the great woman. Well, I hope it helps them a little bit, Jenny, because I can't tell you how much this has helped me. I want to enter into the rest. I want to enter the light and easy flow. I want to enter the promised land. I want to receive God's blessing on my business, on my church, on my health, on my family, on my children. I want this. But a lot of it comes down to not just the faith. The faith is down the list. Uh, what's your heart at? And when your heart, uh, can you receive the person God put in your life? Especially when the person naturally, Dr. Dufresne was very gentle when you knew him. Dr. Summel was the same way. But Dr. Dufresne was very gruff. And Dr. Summer was even more gruff publicly. That's why he stands up and says, you're a bunch of church tramps. He's not talking to the faithful ones. He's talking to the unfaithful ones. But you see, people still have to perceive, perceive uh, this person might have an outflow that is a little bit harder to swallow. But I've got to look past the personality. I've got to look past the charisma or lack thereof. Are they a man of God and did God put them in my life? Because if he did, it's not really about them. It's about the power of God on them flowing to me. And certain things will come directly to you and certain things will never come to you without coming through an office. It's just the way God set it up. Because otherwise, the, the, lack, the ones that are proud and not humble that refuse to submit to the offices, they would get the same rewards as the rest of us, and God won't allow that. There's certain things you'll get on your own that, that, that will keep you going in your spiritual life, but there is much that will only come through your submission and honor for an office. Because God, the first thing Jesus did after he was raised from the dead and he sat down at the right hand of God, he says he gave gifts. Read it in Ephesians 4. The first thing he did, the first thing he did is he gave you a pastor and a teacher and an evangelist and a prophet and an apostle. And we need all five. But the most important for you is the pastor because they're the ones that feed you all the time. And they're the ones that know your name and phone number and they're the ones that come and marry and bury you. And they're the ones that come and visit you and that you counsel with. Brother Copeland doesn't know you and he's never going to know you. I know you. I'm sorry that I'm not as cool as him. I don't have, I'm, not, I'm not as wise. I'm not, I don't have the same measure of the anointing. But that's okay because he is a man of God, but he's not your man of God. She had to recognize who's my man of God. And then receive that person in the right way so that the power on, from God on them, I'm almost done. I'm actually doing very good on time. What are some enemies of perceiving? Anything that tries to lower or diminish the offices means it's lowering and diminishing the anointing on the offices. It's completely from Satan. Anything that tries to lessen the offices, even including the titles, is demonic. Anything that tries to equalize the offices with the people is demonic. What I'm trying to say is God has set offices. Paul said in Romans 13, I magnify my office. Don't magnify me. I magnify my office. Now, God has said, now he puts humans in those offices, but it's the office that matters, not the human. 
There is something called the office of the president of the United States. There's a guy in that now, but a few months ago, there was a different guy in that. The person changes, but the office is what's honored. The office has the power. Right now, Trump can't call, call the military people and tell them to go and do something because he doesn't have the office power. He doesn't have the power of the office. But the Biden guy and, and, and Prime Minister Trudeau, they have the power of that office. When they leave, the office stays the same, but now a new human comes to operate that power. If I fall into gross error and sin and I leave, there's still a pastoral office for this church. And there's, God will have to put another human being in that office and that anointing will flow from that office through that individual out to the people. Because it's not as much the person, we are replaceable, but the office is where the power is. That's where God gave gifts or offices unto men. That's where our honor is. We magnify the office, we don't just magnify the person. If you magnify the person, you'll get into error. Then it becomes human worship. Then, and I've seen this, Taylor, because they're so charismatic and they don't teach this, now the people are looking to them and their personality, and I've seen this over and over again. Then they go sleep with the secretary, steal a million dollars from the church. It comes public, and not one person in the sanctuary has left the church because of it. Every person should have left that church because of it. Because when that kind of stuff happens, and the pastor stands up in arrogance and says, I can do what I want, and you've got nothing to say about it, everybody should get up and leave. Because now you're no longer following him as he follows Christ. Now you're following him. That's right. Now you're following the personality of a person that is carnal and that is unrepentant and that is proud. And if you stay under that, that false spirit, that, that error on him, those demons on him will come on you. You don't follow a man, you follow him as he follows Christ. You follow him as long as he's in that office, as long as he's living right. For churches to not have any, any fallout when a pastor, unrepentant, not repentant, an unrepentant pastor has been caught in gross error and there's no fallout in the church, it shows they were following the person. They weren't following the office. And that is de- that's how you get cults. That's how cults form. Because now it's the person. The person can do no wrong. The person, the person, the person. Instead of the pillar of truth of God's word and the standard. That's why you need a spiritual father. That's why you need a pastor because they keep you right. That's why I need Pastor Nancy and the two men because they keep me straight. They keep me right. If I start getting off, my wife slaps me, the board slaps me, and then they holler off and slap me too. Because I have, it's not about me, it's about the office. I'm replaceable, the office isn't. Enemies to perceiving the man of God is anything that tries to equalize an office with the people. And there's a whole group of people that do that. I won't tell you, but there was a man that I knew for years and loved him very much. And he wrote a book. And the whole book was about equalizing the pastoral office with the people. It doesn't really matter anymore. It's all just this newfangled doctrine. It's not really the Bible. That's not what Ephesians 4 means. And the people are just as important as the pastor. Now, they are from one measure, but they're not from another measure because God didn't anoint all the people the same way he anointed the pastor. And, and that man tried to equalize, lower, diminish the anointing on the offices, all of the offices, but especially the pastor's office, and tried to raise up the people to be equal, equal. We're all the same. Who cares what you think? I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to go. He started teaching people that you don't need to go to church, that you only need Jesus, that you, you can do. And if you do insist on going to church, it shouldn't be in buildings. It should be in homes. I mean, this is, this is error. This is doctrinal error. And they started, what is that? That's a demonic tactic to lower the offices, to equalize the offices with people. And he said, don't call them pastor anymore. You shouldn't really do that. It, it's, just, it's just coach. It's just you. Well, anytime you see that there's a demon behind that, because the devil knows. 
if we can get them not to perceive and not to honor and to lower to natural carpenter status. There's no faith, there's no power. That's what he wants. He doesn't want you to have the power. So he, he's very subtle. He works behind the scenes to make sure that you no longer honor and perceive the man of God. And one great way to do it is call life, call them coach, don't call them pastor. They're all, we're all equal. All our opinions matter. We're all equal in the church. No, we're not. I'm equal to you in a certain measure. We're on the same. I'm out in front. You're behind. I'm not above. I'm out in front. But I'm not equal to you in terms of the calling and the office. It's called church government. And very few people teach it or even understand it. And I was sitting across that man who was promoting his book and asking to come to my church. Well, obviously, I'm not going to let a devil like that in the church. But as I, not that he's the devil, but there's a devil working through him. He's a nice person, very likable person, genuinely nice person. And I'm sitting there and I heard the Lord speak to me just as clear as I've ever heard him. And I heard the Lord say, because he's bringing error to the body of Christ, he will die if he doesn't repent. I said, Lord, do you want me to say something to him? Because I will. I, I love him and I don't want him to die. And the Lord said, he will not receive it from you. He sees you as his junior. Do not say a word. Within three months, he got cancer. Then that went to remission. I met with him again a year later. He was still doing the same thing. And I heard the Lord say, I've given him a season of mercy. This season will not be repeated. If he does not repent, he will die. I said, do I say something to him? He said, he will not receive it from you. You are his junior. See, a proud, proud heart. I could have saved his life, not me, but the rescue of God through me could have saved him. But he wouldn't receive it because of my age. Within nine months, he was dead. And you know what? He needs to go to heaven. Because if you're going to bring error to the body of Christ and rob people of their perception, dangerous. And I can, I can tell you story after story, not just one. I can tell you six stories off the top of my head of people that have done this. And they're either out of the ministry, they've lost their marriage, they've lost everything, and many of them have died prematurely. You don't touch the body of Christ with false doctrine. You also don't teach manipulation where now you're worshiping people. But you must stay in the middle of the road and teach people, recognize and perceive who God put in your life. Don't lower them. Don't make it natural. See them that they have something through the anointing to offer you. Don't worship them. Worship God for the office that he put them in. Don't follow them. Follow them as they follow Christ. Show honor by word and action and do it quickly. Show honor. Elevate that that, 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 that office that they have, I receive from it, Father. When you do that, you'll hear the message. Faith will come. The power will flow. Mm, amen. And that's why this thing, I, I'm not insecure that I need you to call me pastor, but it's an act of honor for my office. That's right, amen. amen. <laughs> that's it's an act of honor. It is. It's an act of honor for my office. Amen. And anytime somebody, I hear people say, hey, Nancy. Now, Copeland can say that. Because he's over her. But when I hear people say, hey, Nancy, oh, man, it makes me shudder. I'm talking about regular people, just regular folk. Hey, Nancy. I'm like, who do you think you are? You obviously don't know who she is. It's not that she's so great. It's that God has anointed her in an office and show respect for that office. You may not like her, but you show respect for her office. You may not like President Trump if you met him. A lot of people didn't. But there still should be an honor for the office. I'm almost done. It's 12.01. Hey, that rhymed. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> be quiet, Taylor. Very quickly, very quickly, this won't take long. Israel, remember enemies of perception. Now, Israel 
didn't perceive. Let me read you one verse. If you have a wig, hold it. It's about to flip. It is about to flip right now. I hope you put extra glue or whatever you do with those things. Praise God. Uh, I want you to look at Luke verse chapter 19. Taylor, you don't have one, so don't put take your head hands down, Taylor. You don't need to hold your head. Luke 19, 44. You need to see this. This will flip you. I'm almost done, but you've got to see this. I'm giving you examples about perception and honor. Your pH scale. Luke 19, 44. We're going to start with verse 42. We'll start with verse 41. And when he was come, Jesus was come near to Jerusalem. He beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thee, unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. If you had seen what you had, yeah. would have given you peace, but they're hidden from you. Not that God hid them, their hearts hid it from them. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around and keep thee on every side. He's talking about 70 AD when the Romans sacked Jerusalem. He's prophesying decades in advance. And shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. Now watch now. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. And they did. They totally destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Watch now, watch. Why is this destruction coming? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Yeah. That's right. yeah. If you had known the time of your visitation, you would have had peace. Yeah. Oh now, you say, what does that mean? Visitation is a, it's a poorly translated word in the English, and it's a powerful word in the Greek. It is the word episcope. Episcope is where you get the word episcopalian. That is a denomination. But the word episcope, which is where Episcopalian comes from, the actual word episcope means, and I'm quoting the Greek lexicon, the office of a bishop yeah. or, or minister. A bishop is a minister. Yeah. Bishop T.D. Jakes, that's the same as saying minister T.D. Jakes. Yeah, that's right. They just like some cultures like the word bishop. Sure. But it means nothing. It just means pastor. It means minister. Yeah. Every one of the fivefold offices are a bishop. A pastor is a bishop and an apostle is a bishop. Bishop reply, refers to all fivefold offices in one sack. Then you individualize the bishop if they're a pastor, an evangelist, a prophet, da 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 da. Are you understanding me? This word visitation means bishop or minister. They didn't recognize the time that their bishop visited them. What, what is it saying? You didn't perceive that I was your bishop. You didn't perceive that I was your man of God. No, that lady on the, on, in 2 Kings 4, she perceived it and she got her peace. And, and Nazareth, they didn't perceive that I was, they just saw me as a carpenter. They didn't perceive that I was their man of God and, and they didn't get their healing. And you as a whole nation did not perceive me as your man of God. If you had of, there would have been peace. Great things would have happened. In fact, I'll go so far as to say, if they had received Jesus, which they didn't, Rome would have never invaded because Jesus is saying here, he's prophesying because you wouldn't receive the kingdom of God through me, you're going to lose everything. And it's going to come, he didn't say it there, but we know from history it came through the Romans because they were the empire at the time. If they had of take their version, if they had have received him and the kingdom of God through him, God would have preserved that nation supernaturally. And, he, and, and that history would not have happened 
But why? Listen, I'm trying to get it. It's all because they didn't recognize their pastor. He said, I am your shepherd. What is a shepherd? A pastor. He was also the ultimate apostle. He was the ultimate prophet. He was the ultimate teacher. He was the ultimate evangelist. And he was the ultimate pastor. He was all five in perfection. He was the ultimate bishop. He said, you did not recognize the time of your bishop. I came, you wouldn't see me. So people today, Taylor, that don't recognize who God has put in their life, they will suffer loss and lack of peace, or we could say lack of the good life, lack of the light and easy, lack of the promised land. Do you understand? It's the same thing. Lack of rest, it's the same thing. So Israel didn't perceive. Now, uh, almost done. Jesus told Dad Hagen that the people must perceive or they won't receive healing from him. Dad Hagen stood in the throne room of God. The heavenly father was on his throne about 14 feet to his right. He wanted to look at him so bad and Jesus said, do not look at him. I don't know why, but I guess if Jesus says that, you better obey him. And he just, he said, kneel down before me, put your hands out in the throne room of God, September 2nd, 1950 in Texas. He was caught away. He said, put your hands out. He put his fingers in the palms of his hands and fireballs started to jump between them. He said, I'm giving you, I'm paraphrasing, I'm giving you a special anointing to heal the sick. Mm. And then he told him some other things. And he kind of said, Lord, I don't really want to do this because people will persecute me. And he said, I told you to do it. And if they persecute you, I'll deal with them. You do what I tell you to do. But one of the things he said in that visitation, Taylor, he said, when you go back to the earth and you're ministering, tell, this is very curious because it sounds self-promoting. But Jesus himself said it. Tell the people that I visited you. Tell the people I appeared to you. Tell the people I had you set your hands out. Tell the people I put my fingers in the palms of your hands. Tell the people fire jumped between them. Tell the people I have given you a special anointing to heal the sick. Why did he need to, why shouldn't he just keep it? Well, if you're humble, you keep it private. Why did Jesus say, tell them? Not so that he could say, Jesus appeared to me and I'm better than you. No, it was say, Listen, guys, there's an anointing on me to help you. Jesus himself gave it to me. Now, why does he do that? Because as they hear that word, faith builds in their heart. Now, if they will release their faith, not in Hagen, because he can't heal a fly. If they release their faith in the anointing on Hagen's life, that anointing will flow through the office, through the person in the office, and into their life, and they'll be healed of their cancer, and healed of their tuberculosis, and healed of their mental insanity, and all of those things happened by the thousands over seven years of pulpit minister, ministry in Dad Hagen's life. But did you notice Jesus said, tell the people oh, what I've done. Why? Because if you don't tell them, they can't release their faith because they don't really, they just think you're another preacher. But I want them to know that my anointing is on you and they need to release their faith in my power, not in you, in my power flowing through you. And if they'll honor you and that office and that power, they'll get what they need. Tell them. Man, this is, he's helping them tell the people to perceive. Tell the people to recognize you as their man of God. Tell the people to recognize that you're the time of their visitation. You're their bishop sent by me to help them. Mm, mm, mm. I feel like my Jamaican grannies with their hair going. Praise God. Give me a patty, why don't you? Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. And my last point is Jesus himself helped the people to perceive. So the point number one is the two things we learned, perceive and honor. But then I've got a few other things there. There's enemies of perceiving. 
Then I've got Israel didn't perceive, Luke 19, 44. Jesus told Dad Hagen, help the people to perceive. He didn't say that, but that's what he was saying. Tell them, which means help them to perceive, because if they don't perceive, they can't, they can't hear you. Faith won't come. They won't have my power flow. And finally, last point is Jesus, not didn't just tell Dad Hagen to do that in our generation. Jesus did this himself. Jesus helped the Jews to perceive, but some of them didn't get it. When he, he helped some perceive, like the lady with the issue of blood, like bar, blind Bartimaeus, and they did it. Right. He's a man of God. If I can just get near him, yeah. his power, that's God's power flowing through him will come to me. And then their heart was open to his message. Faith came. They showed honor. They acted. The power of God moved. Yeah. But now you see the Nazarites didn't do that. And the power of God didn't flow. But how did Jesus, I can prove it to you. Remember I said earlier when we were reading Mark 6, I said, I'll tell you, uh, can we just look there and then I'll close. Mark 6, one more time, please. Look at Mark 6 and verse 2. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. That's their version of a church tailor. And many hearing him were astonished. They weren't bored. They were astonished. And he said, where did this guy get this revelation from? And what great wisdom is this given to him that even such what mighty works are wrought by his hands? Taylor, no mighty works had been wrought by his hands in Nazareth because we know he only healed a few sick folk with minor ailments. What mighty works were wrought by what he was teaching and preaching. He was telling them, hey, over yonder in the Gadarenes, I just cast the devils out of it. I bet you any money, I put my life on it. I bet you any money. If religious people today were to be listening to Jesus then, including the Pharisees who were the religious people back then, and there's many Pharisees today. Yes. People, I bet you any money, Jenny, if you heard Jesus preach, people today would go, that sounds self-serving. Oh, yeah. How come he's promoting himself? Right. Wow, it seems like he really thinks he's all that. <laughs> Who do you think you're all that, Jesus? I bet you any money they thought that. Why? Because Jesus was saying, I was just over yonder, and the power of God healed that gathering man, and the legion called out, and I said, come out, thou unclean spirit, and today he's free. And I was over there in a blind Bartimaeus guy, and he's, he, he can see right now. Jesus was preaching, and he was telling them stories of mighty works wrought by his own hands. And I bet you religious people, oh, that's proud. You need to humble yourself. Jesus was not doing it from an arrogant place. Jesus was perfect. The reason he was telling them mighty works wrought is because he was trying to get them to perceive. I am the man of God. God has anointed me. I am going to help you. I am your visitation. I am your preacher. Release your faith. Open your heart. Don't be familiar. Don't lower. Don't be offended. Show me honor for my anointing and it will work for you. Look what it did for that one. Look what it did for that one. It can do. I believe Jesus was a preacher. And, and they couldn't receive it. Yeah, yeah. Jesse Duplantis, when he went to heaven, he said he, was, he saw this massive stadium. He doesn't even, he, can't, he said, I can't explain how large it was. And he said, it, there was millions of people in the stadium. No earthly stadium can hold millions of people. He said, it was the hugest structure he's ever seen. And there was a platform. <laughs> and Jesus walked out on that platform. And he said, I always thought Jesus was like a mild, you know, like teacher, like blessed are the kind, blessed are. And Jesus did teach kind, sweet messages. But he said, Jesus is a fiery preacher. He said he stood up and he screamed, pointing his finger at all these people. And they were freaking out. Ah! You think a football game, you wait till you get to heaven. And he said, I'm going to go get your mamas and I'm going to go get your fathers and your sons and your daughters. I'm going to save them by my blood. They're going to be here with you. You're going to be with them forever. I'm going to go save them. For and the people are freaking out. 
He did mild teaching, but he did powerful preaching. And I believe when he's preaching to the Nazarites, his own people, I love you. I grew up with you. I got something extra special for you because you were kind to me as a kid. This guy got healed. That guy got healed. Look at all these mighty works. And instead of them going, praise God, I receive it. Help me, Jesus. They said, who do you think you are? You're nothing but a carpenter. He said they couldn't perceive, but he was trying to help them. Now, you know what, last statement, you know what he told Dad Hagen in that one, not, not that September 2nd, but at another time. He told Dad Hagen, and this is scriptural, I can prove it to you. But I never put the two and two together until Dad Hagen told us. He said, everywhere I went, the first sermon I preached was Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Said liberty to those that are bruised, brokenhearted, set the captives free, preach the acceptable jubilee year of the Lord. Now he said, everywhere I went, now this is a fit to you if you believe that Hagen or not, but he said, everywhere I went, I preached Luke 4, 18 as my inaugural sermon. It was the first sermon he ever preached ever in the synagogue there in Luke 4, 18, but he said, everywhere I went, I preached it. And he said, do you know why? Dad Hagen said, why? He said, because I had to tell people I am anointed to help you. He said, that is why you go and tell the people, Jesus appeared to me and has anointed me with a special healing anointing to help you. Because if they can perceive my anointing is on you, they'll release their faith in that anointing and I can heal them. And I had to get people, Jesus is the same as us in a different way, but he's, he's greater, but he's the same. He was a man preaching under the anointing. He wasn't God preaching under the anointing. He was a man preaching under the anointing. He was subject to the Spirit. He was perfect without sin, but he was still a man preaching under the anointing. And Jesus had to do the same thing we do. He had to get people to perceive that he was their visitation. He had to get people in that individual synagogue to perceive this man can help me. This man has anointing. God has anointed this man to help me. And if he could get them to see it by telling them, hey, the Spirit of God is upon me because he's anointed me to do these four things to help you. To help you out of demonic bondage, to help you out of emotional bondage, to help you out of physical sickness, and to help you out of poverty. Four categories are listed in that sermon. Four categories. Demonic problems, emotional problems, financial problems, and health problems, physical disease problems. Four categories. The Spirit is on me because He's anointed me to preach to you the God kind of message and the God kind of faith. And I'm going to help you if you'll receive me. He had, to t- he had to get them to perceive. Just like that Elisha, the woman had to perceive. And then it works. And you say, well, we know from Luke 4, 18, but how can you prove that? Well, the last scripture, I'll read it to you. You're tired. I won't make you turn. But it's Acts chapter 10 and verse 37. And, and I've, I've read this, but I've, I didn't really understand it until Dad Hagen said Jesus told him that. It's right here in the word. This, that word, I say, you know, that was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee. After the baptism which John preached, what word? Are you hearing this? The Bible is saying there was a word or a sermon or a message published or preached, not with print, published by preaching everywhere. And it started in Galilee. Where did Jesus preach Luke 4? Galilee. It started in Galilee and it went all over Judea, all over uh, everywhere. And it was after the baptism of John. John came, then Jesus came. 
And the same message that Jesus preached everywhere was this, verse 38. How This is the message that went everywhere. Why? Because Jesus was saying it everywhere. This is the verse Jesus gave Dad Hagen. He said, I preach Luke 4, 18 everywhere I went the first time. If I went there a second time, I may not have preached that. But the first time I went there, I preached Luke 4, 18 everywhere I went. And Acts 10, 38 is a summary of Luke 4, 18. It's a summary. This is the message published, preached everywhere. Started in Galilee and went everywhere. What is the message? Remember how... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to do these four things and preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, what is the summary version? How God anointed, you see? The message was, see, God's anointed somebody. You got to perceive that the anointing is on the man of God or it can't work for you. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. This is what Jesus said. God's anointed me. The devil has oppressed you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to do good. I'm going to cast him out. I'm going to heal you because the anointing is on me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to help you. Would you let me help you? Would you reach out your faith and the power of God will heal you? That's what he preached everywhere. What was he doing? Perceive who I am. I'm not just a carpenter. I'm not just a regular rabbi. There were lots of rabbis. I am the anointed man of God. I am son of man, son of God. God has anointed me specifically for you. And when the people would hear that and they would show honor. Oh, we're not honoring this or the person, but look at the anointing on him. I honor that anointing. Now the heart, because of honor, opens. And now the seed goes in of the word. And now faith comes. And now power flows from that office. And now the person is healed or raised from the dead or financial breakthrough or whatever the issue is that they need, they get it. But it all comes down to honoring and perceiving. Do you see all that? There are enemies of perception. Israel didn't perceive their time of visitation. Jesus told Dad Hagen, tell the people so that they can perceive. And Jesus himself helped the people perceive everywhere he went. He kept telling them, I'm anointed to help you. I'm anointed to help you. I'm anointed to help you. Did you notice he didn't just say, I'm a good preacher? He always put the emphasis on the anointing. He always put the emphasis on God. I, I have some administrative abilities. I am a detailed individual, but that is not what is here to help you. Do you understand? I can put words together. I couldn't. I, I, I studied. I, I couldn't speak. I told you that. I was the least likely candidate. Struggled with OCD, yeah. severely, yeah. tormented by demons in my mind. Sure. Couldn't, speak a, couldn't speak a sentence. I could preach, I could preach, but I couldn't, I couldn't ever talk outside of preaching. No. And even then I stuttered sometimes in the preaching. It's not me, I can't do nothing. I'm very aware of that. But the anointing on me is what you honor. The anointing on me is what you have to perceive. Understand that I am not the big picture here, but God has asked me to do this. If you can perceive it, if you can receive me as a man of God in your life and congregation, I'm not just talking to to people that don't know me right now. We might have a visitor or two watching. I'm talking to all of you as regular congregation members. I know you have received me and you do perceive and you do show honor, but you've got to do it continually. Because that lady said he's here all the time and she never, ever lost the honor for that office. Pastor Ruby sees pastor all the time, but she renews her honor 
every day. She sees her, she renews her spiritual view of her every day. You've got to do that with me every week. You've got to do that with me regularly because if you don't, the volume of times you see me will breed familiarity. And if you ever stop respecting and honoring the anointing, it won't be able to work for you. One way you know that you're in a dangerous thing is when you're offended with me. One way you know is when you start saying, well, he doesn't really love me. Ah, he doesn't have time for me. And don't you, doesn't even know that I'm important. That those, that those, those are killer words. The fact that you're even thinking them shows that you're offended, shows that you've lowered me to natural status. And then even though I may still meet with you and cry with you, the anointing cannot work for you because God will not permit it to work unless there's honor. I wanted to help you so badly, but there's got to be honor. Praise God. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone that watched this morning. I thank you, Lord. You said to me, this is a staple sermon. This is something they can't live without. Because, Lord, they see in all the different subjects I cover and that you have me cover and that other ministers cover for week after week, month after month, year after year. But, Lord, we've always got to come back. We have to have this as a staple. It's got to be on our shelf, so to speak. It's got to be within arm's reach, so to speak. Father, we may not always reach for the cumin, but we always reach for the salt. We may not always need parsley, but we always need pepper. Lord, there's certain things that are closer by than other things. Lord, let this sermon be the salt and the pepper that they are uh, within arm's reach, within regular keeping in their memory. That, Father, they must remember not to become familiar, not to let the volume of times they see me, let them get offended with me. They can't reduce me to just a natural person. I am natural like they are. But, Lord, you have placed me in an office, and it's the office we magnify, and it's the anointing on the office that must be honored. And if they will perceive me as their man of God, that anointing, keep their heart pure and not get offended. Lord, that anointing in that office flowing through me will help them. It will rescue them. It will set them free free. It will cause demons to leave and healing to come and breakthrough and favor. Lord, much they will get on their own for their relationship with you, but certain things you will only give them through an office because certain things can only come through submission and humility and being rightly connected because that is the divine order of God. So Lord, help them, please. I'm asking you. I'm praying for them. Father, let this word burn, burn upon their heart, imprinted, branded upon them, that they would remember their pH level. They would remember Remember, am I still perceiving him as my man of God or have I lowered him to just another preacher, just another person? And Lord, let them not just have the honor in their hearts. That's where it starts. But let them show it with their words and say it with their mouth and do it quickly. Because if they will continue to show honor and perceive that anointing on my life, there's nothing that you can't get over to them, that you can't help them in, that you can't set them free from. So Lord, I thank you for it. I bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Praise God.